When creating this podcast, I came with the intention of talking about the Israeli-Palestinian issue in great detail. I thought about making multiple series and episodes covering the conflict, the issues with their political institutions, and more. However, I didn't think I would have to publish an episode this early and in this season. Seeing the destruction on both sides and the war and this entire conflict making matters worse for the people of Gaza, additionally seeing even further divide among the people of the rest of the world, the media spreading lies and showing bias, people and content creators using this conflict to talk about these issues that they know nothing about, some of them even making this a intense religious issue because their content covers religious topics. And others proclaiming that we are at the end of the days and World War III is upon us. Well, they said that about Ukraine. They said that about the killing of the Iranian general, Qasem Soleimani. And now they're saying it again. Before we dive further into the complexities of this issue, I want to make it clear that my intentions are rooted in advocating for peace. I condemn the actions of both Hamas and Israel and the oppressive policies that the Palestinian people endure. It is important to emphasize that I do not condone any form of anti-Semitism or Islamophobia, and I condemn the killings, kidnappings, and torture of innocent civilians. Keep in mind this, the people in Gaza and the people in the West Bank, just like the rest of the world, are not against peace, and their voices should not be clouded by mainstream media, content creators, and the like shouting Hamas this and Hamas that. Additionally, not even Hamas itself. These people, they want peace. Even Hamas wants peace, believe it or not. However, it's not the peace you see, or what I see, or what the media demands, or what your country leader wants. So it seems then that peace is a subjective thought and action derived from specific, even unfortunate circumstances. Most civilians in the West Bank and Gaza don't hate Jews or Israel. They hate the occupation. If you were to go up to them and talk about these subjects, eventually they will ask you, why am I a refugee in my own land? What have the Palestinians done to the Jews or to the world in the recent or distant past to deserve this? Both sides, Palestinians and Israelis, deserve security and a homeland, just like everyone else in the world. Nonetheless, I can't let idealism blind me to the fact that I am well aware that there is no justice in the world. The world can be a cruel place. However, to beat the injustices of this world, you have to be strong. If you're not, the powerful and the corrupt will walk over you. It is important to remember that despite the horrors of the world, you can still fight for what you believe in. Even if you don't win, it's important to stand up for justice and for the people you care about. Showing strength and courage can be the only way to make a real difference. The international community has failed to address the situation in Palestine. Instead of blaming the Palestinians, it should focus on the victims and the occupation. When it comes to criticizing Israel's actions, the media has not asked pro-Israeli groups whom they bring onto the station to condemn Israel's actions of violating international law on the Palestinians, as well as stealing and destroying their homes and infrastructure and denying them basic rights. The international community should recognize Israel's crimes and take action to address them. Media should be held accountable for allowing pro-Israeli groups to promote false narratives that deny the root causes of the conflict. Finally, the international community should provide support and resources to restore justice to Palestine.
The way Western media and even some content creators have covered the situation in Israel-Palestine has no place in the 21st century. There is no way we can draw symmetry from this. The conflict has been ongoing for over a century and has been marked by a cycle of violence, ethnic cleansing, and displacement of Palestinians. While it is important to provide an accurate and unbiased account of the situation, it is not ethical or appropriate to draw symmetry between the two parties. The occupying power is responsible for the situation in the West Bank and Gaza. It cannot be compared. There cannot be symmetry with what the West considers to be the region's only democracy, comparing that with militant groups and civilians. And it's those civilians who have the absolute right to fight back for their rights. The most powerful nation in the Middle East is a country backed by the U.S. with billions of dollars in taxpayer money. This disparity in power and resources makes it difficult to compare the two, as the West has a clear advantage in terms of military and economic support. It would be like comparing a chess grandmaster to an amateur player. The grandmaster has a better understanding of the game, more resources, and a greater ability to manipulate the situation to their advantage. Moreover, it acts on a population of people with impunity and is never held accountable for its actions. There is no symmetry in understanding this situation. I'm going to use the same hypothetical situation that talk show host, writer, political commentator, and comedian Michael Brooks gave in an interview regarding the recent conflict in Gaza and Israel on why this is an asymmetrical relationship. So it wouldn't be difficult to imagine this hypothetical situation. If millions of Jewish refugees have relocated to the West Bank in Gaza, an Arabic government established in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv takes over, it deploys an open-air prison within the Gaza Strip where it kills civilians indiscriminately, has an embargo that prevents food from being distributed, and its electricity and water cut off. And yet a prominent official in the hypothetical state said that Jews must be sent back to the Middle Ages which, by the way, was actually said by an Israeli official named Matan Vinay, who, in 2008, during a radio interview, he used the phrase, we will send Gaza back to the Middle Ages, in response to rocket attacks from Gaza onto Israel. And yet there was a Jewish region within the West Bank that had more slight autonomy, but regular Arabic settlements harassed the residents with guns and refused to allow them to use their roads, that's all being a regular feature in their day-to-day -day lives. So we would understand their plight, and we wouldn't question their right to fight back. Therefore, it is a purely asymmetrical relationship, and the question is whether it is about rights or not. This isn't about Hamas. Frankly, I disagree with him and I don't excuse the harmful actions of innocent civilians. The point of this is about the injustices that the Palestinian people have endured for more than a century dating back to 1917, even before that. This is about the Palestinian people being denied their basic rights. This is about the unfair policies that Israel has put in place that have further isolated and oppressed the Palestinian people. This is about the unjust actions that have been taken against the Palestinian people and the lack of recognition for their suffering. This is about the hypocrisy of the international response to the ongoing conflict. And with that, I can't help but think about this quote by John F. Kennedy. Quote, Those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. End quote. 
This quote speaks to the power of peaceful protests and the idea that if peaceful methods are not employed, people will eventually turn to more drastic measures. This emphasizes the importance of using peaceful methods to resolve conflicts and that violence should be avoided at all costs. It also implies that if governments do not listen to democratic demands, people will eventually resort to more extreme measures. For most of this episode, I will be talking about radicalism. However, I mean to use the word loosely. This is because not every civilian in the West Bank and Gaza is a radical extremist. As a matter of fact, only a small population living in those lands subscribe to this extremist ideology like what Hamas expounds. Indeed, even Zionism is a radical ideology, and there are plenty of Israelis and Jewish people who disagree with Zionist ideologies. This is why it is so crucial to differentiate radicalism from extremism. We should recognize that radicalism can be peaceful and nonviolent and is often misunderstood or mischaracterized. We should strive to create a more nuanced understanding of radicalism. We should recognize the positive aspects of radicalism, such as its ability to inspire change and progress. We should also be able to distinguish between radicalism and extremism and identify when radicalism is being used in a negative way. So now we have to ask ourselves, what is this a reaction to? What are the underlying conditions? What is the proper response to decades of sustained neglect, sustained abuse, aggression, harm, and oppression? What is the proper response to an apartheid state that strips you of your homes, your neighborhood, your culture, your history, and your humanity? What is your response to that? With that being said, let's explore the topic of radicalism and its significance in this context. Radicalization is a complex process by which individuals or groups adopt extreme positions on political or social issues. It is often accompanied by a willingness to use violence to impose these beliefs on society. Radical Islam and Zionism are two ideologies that have been used to justify acts of violence and oppression. While both ideologies have been used to further political or social agendas, they differ in their methods. Radical Islam is often associated with violence and extremism, while Zionism is more often associated with the promotion of a Jewish homeland in Israel. Both ideologies have caused great controversy in the past, and the consequences of their actions have far-reaching implications. Although both ideologies are associated with radicalism, it is important to understand how and why each is used in order to properly respond to them. Understanding radicalization involves considering multiple dimensions, as there is no universal model with predictive certainty. Here, I'll explore key aspects of radicalization. Radicalization entails a commitment to a system of radical beliefs and the desire to impose these beliefs on society. It often culminates in a compulsion to use violence as a means of enforcement or punishment for perceived wrongdoings. Radicalization has multiple causes, including poverty, failed states, humiliation, religious factors, and clashes of civilizations or cultures. Root causes include relative deprivation, weak state capacity, and the denial of basic needs. 
These factors create a fertile ground for radicalization. People may be driven to radicalization due to a sense of belonging to an in-group, perceiving others as the out-group, and having a charismatic leader to ignite their beliefs and actions. People may form strong bonds and relationships with others within a certain group, creating an in-group dynamic. This can lead to an out-group dynamic, where those outside the group are seen as the other and seen as being inferior or wrong. A charismatic leader can tap into this feeling of belonging and create an even stronger bond between members of the group, providing them with a sense of purpose and motivating them to take action. Modernity, often driven by globalization, can provide enabling preconditions for radicalization. When people feel disconnected from their communities or feel a lack of identity, they are more likely to gravitate towards charismatic leaders who can provide a sense of identity and belonging. Furthermore, globalization can create a vacuum of meaning that can be filled by radical ideologies, which can then provide justification for extremism. Additionally, precipitant factors such as the war in Afghanistan and Iraq and the occupation of Palestine can trigger radicalization. Ideology plays a significant role in radicalization. It can provide the motivation and framework for individuals to embrace extremist beliefs. Ideology can be a powerful tool for mobilizing and unifying individuals. It can provide a sense of purpose and direction that helps individuals make sense of the world and their place in it. This sense of purpose can help individuals to overcome their doubts and feelings of loneliness and to become radicalized. Personal circumstances, experiences, and psychological factors can contribute to radicalism. This sense of purpose and direction can give individuals a sense of belonging and identity and can help them find meaning and purpose in life. This can be especially true for those who are struggling with feelings of alienation or loneliness as it can give them something to focus on and believe in. Additionally, personal experiences and psychological factors can influence a person's beliefs and values, which can contribute to their radicalization. Alienation from mainstream society and withdrawal from it is often observed in the progression towards radicalization. Radicalization can occur through various means including self-radicalization, recruitment by extremist groups, exposure in schools or mosques, social networks, both online and offline, returnees from conflict zones, and even within prison settings. Lastly, the three key elements contribute to radicalization pathways. Motivational, what drives an individual. Ideological, the beliefs they adopt and social processes, the interactions and influences within their network. Understanding radicalization is essential for preventing and countering extremism. This multifaceted process requires a nuanced approach, addressing both the underlying causes and the specific mechanisms through which individuals become radicalized. It is crucial to focus on prevention and intervention strategies to counteract radicalization and promote peace and social cohesion. Radicalism can make a substantial impact on the situation in Gaza and elsewhere in the world. The region's densely populated and confined nature combined with the long-standing oppression faced by its people creates an environment that is fertile ground for radical ideologies to take hold. 
As I recently explained, radicalization is a complex process influenced by various factors. Lack of economic opportunities, restricted mobility, and continuous exposure to violence and trauma contribute to the vulnerability of individuals in this environment. It is important to understand and address these root causes to prevent the spread of radical ideologies. While it is crucial to condemn the actions of Hamas and the violence perpetrated against Israeli civilians, we must also acknowledge the impact of Israeli oppression on the Palestinian people. Striking a delicate balance and finding a solution that addresses the legitimate grievances of both sides is essential to achieving lasting peace. The cycle of violence perpetuated by both parties only deepens the divide and radicalizes more individuals. International actors, including the Biden administration, must prioritize diplomatic efforts and engage in dialogue with all parties involved. Diplomatic efforts can help to de-escalate tensions and create an environment of mutual understanding, which is necessary in order to come to a peaceful resolution. Additionally, international actors can use dialogue to address the grievances of all parties involved and identify areas of compromise. A ceasefire and a commitment to a peaceful resolution must be at the forefront of their approach. Understanding the psychological and socio-political dynamics at play is key to addressing the root causes of radicalism. Without addressing the grievances of all parties, any agreement is likely to be short-lived and the conflict will escalate. It is important to recognize the complex nature of the conflict and consider the psychological and societal factors that drive it. By engaging in dialogue and understanding the underlying causes of radicalization, international actors can help bridge the gap between the two parties and ensure lasting peace. By promoting dialogue, education, and economic opportunities, we can offer individuals an alternative path away from violence and towards a future of peace and stability. From a psychological standpoint, it is not surprising that the people of Gaza may act in radical ways. Living in a densely populated area with limited resources and limited mobility, the people of Gaza experience immense frustration, despair, and a sense of hopelessness. This environment creates the appropriate breeding ground for radicalization and extremism. The oppression and constant threat of violence from Israel only exacerbates these psychological issues. I would advise politicians, grassroots organizations, mainstream media, and content creators to dive deeper into the psychology of radicalism and explore how Israel's oppression of Gaza contributes to the radicalization of its population. The ongoing conflict in Gaza can be understood through various psychological factors. One psychological factor at play is the concept of collective trauma. Living in a constant state of conflict and witnessing the destruction of their homes and infrastructure, Gazans experience trauma on a collective level. This trauma affects not only their mental well-being, but also their perceptions and attitudes towards conflict. The collective trauma of the Gazans is reinforced by the fact that they all have been victims of the same trauma, which makes it difficult for the people of Gaza to empathize with each other or with outsiders. Additionally, the collective trauma of Gazans can be seen as a major factor in the cycle of violence, as it can lead to feelings of powerlessness and hopelessness. This lack of empathy and feelings of powerlessness can lead to further violence, as the people of Gaza may feel that they have no choice but to resort to violence in order to defend themselves and their rights. Furthermore, this collective trauma can lead to a breakdown in communication, making it difficult to resolve conflicts peacefully. 
So my analysis of the current Gaza-Israel conflict would focus on providing strategic advice to the Biden administration to prevent further escalating tensions. We already have tensions and conflicts in South China Sea with Taiwan and East Europe with Ukraine. We can't have another. First and foremost, the Biden administration should prioritize diplomatic efforts to de-escalate the situation in Gaza. This includes engaging in dialogue with both Israel and Hamas, as well as with the other relevant stakeholders in the region. Furthermore, the Biden administration should pressure Israel to end its blockade of Gaza and provide aid to the people of Gaza. Additionally, the Biden administration should send a strong message to Israel that any aggression against Gaza will not be tolerated. All of this can be done by engaging in dialogue with both Hamas and Israel, urging them to observe a ceasefire and resume negotiations for a long-term peaceful resolution. Furthermore, the United States should leverage its influence over Israel to encourage restraint and avoid excessive force. It is important to recognize that the conflict between Hamas and Israel is complex and deeply rooted in historical, political, and religious factors. The biggest losers in this situation are undoubtedly the people of Gaza. There needs to be further emphasis on the dire humanitarian situation in Gaza. The destruction of homes and infrastructure and the cutoff of vital resources such as food, water, and electricity have devastating consequences for the Gazan population. And the situation in Gaza poses a significant challenge for Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his government. Netanyahu should be advised to take swift and decisive action to address the escalating tension with Hamas. He should prioritize the safety and well-being of Israeli citizens while also considering the long-term implications and consequences of his actions. Netanyahu's handling of the situation in Gaza will undoubtedly impact the attitudes of the Israeli population towards him and his government. The destruction and loss of life caused by the conflict can lead to a backlash against Benjamin Netanyahu's leadership. The Israeli people, particularly those residing in large cities like Haifa and Tel Aviv, have already expressed their discontent with Netanyahu through protests earlier this year. The situation in Gaza only adds fuel to public dissatisfaction. As the Israeli people have seen more and more of their fellow citizens being killed and their homes destroyed, they have begun to lose faith in Netanyahu's ability to lead the country. The current situation in Gaza has only further eroded the public's confidence in Netanyahu's leadership, which could lead to a backlash against him. The people's perception of Netanyahu as a protector of Israel may be tarnished, especially if the conflict escalates and leads to further destruction and loss of life. Saudi Arabia's attempts to normalize relations with Israel adds another layer of complexity to the situation in Gaza. There needs to be a deep assessment of the implications of Saudi Arabia's actions in the region. Saudi Arabia's potential abandonment of ties with Palestine in favor of strengthening relations with Israel could have far-reaching consequences. It may strain the already fragile relationship within the Middle East and exacerbate tensions between Arab countries and Palestine. Moreover, Saudi Arabia's financial endorsements and oil resources can greatly influence the region and its relations with the United States. 
Saudi Arabia's shift towards normalizing relations with Israel could be seen as a betrayal by Palestinians and Arab nations who have historically supported their cause. It is clear that the situation in Gaza has geopolitical implications beyond the immediate conflict between Hamas and Israel. Gaza is a highly contested region with a long history of conflict, both between Israel and Palestine and between various Arab countries in the region. The situation in Gaza has significant geopolitical implications, as it has the potential to impact the balance of power between Israel and Palestine and between Arab countries in the region. It can also influence the long-term relationship between the United States and Middle Eastern countries and could potentially affect the global economy. Additionally, it could have a major impact on the stability of the region as well as the security of the United States and its allies. It is necessary to understand the psychological factors that contribute to the actions and behaviors of people in Gaza. Living under oppressive conditions, such as the open-air prison-like situation in Gaza, can have severe psychological effects on individuals. The dense population, lack of resources, and constant threat of violence can lead to significant psychiatric distress among the people of Gaza. They may experience feelings of hopelessness, anger, and frustration, which could contribute to radicalization and support for extremist groups like Hamas. The Biden administration must approach this situation diplomatically. They should prioritize de-escalation and seek a ceasefire between Hamas and Israel to prevent further loss of life and destruction. Additionally, the Biden administration should use its influence to encourage humanitarian aid and support for the people of Gaza who are suffering as a result of this conflict. The actions taken by Saudi Arabia to normalize relations with Israel adds another layer of complexity. The ability of the United States to navigate the situation will be crucial to maintaining stability in the region. The biggest losers in the situation are of course the people of Gaza, as they bear the brunt of the violence and destruction caused by the conflict. Of course, their homes, infrastructure, and access to basic resources are and will be severely impacted. So it is evident that the long-term conflict between Hamas and Israel can create a fractured and unstable society in Gaza. This has left Gaza in a state of constant insecurity and hinders any form of recovery or progress. So with that being said, it is evident that the Biden administration needs to take proactive measures to prevent further escalation and instability in the region. So this includes, of course, as we talked about, diplomatic efforts to encourage a ceasefire and prioritize humanitarian aid for Gaza. Addressing the psychological trauma experienced by children in Gaza is particularly concerning. Living in such a confined and volatile environment, the children in Gaza are exposed to constant violence and insecurity. This can have long-lasting effects on their mental well-being and development. They may experience symptoms of trauma such as anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder. The ongoing oppression and radicalization in Gaza, coupled with the destruction caused by Israeli missiles, further exacerbates the psychological distress experienced by the people. The people of Gaza may exhibit radical behavior as a result of the oppressive conditions they are subjected to. Living in a densely populated area with limited resources and limited opportunities for mobility, the people of Gaza feel trapped and powerless. They may turn to radicalism as a means of resistance and empowerment.
And with that, the destruction caused by Israeli missiles and the continued suffering of the people of Gaza may lead to public backlash against Netanyahu and his government. The Israeli public, particularly those living in urban areas, have already shown their dissatisfaction with Netanyahu through protests and actions regarding the Supreme Court and corruption charges against him. If the violence in Gaza continues, the public's frustration may grow and Netanyahu may face more protests. Netanyahu's government may face increased pressure to take a more conciliatory stance and end the violence in Gaza. The situation in Gaza only adds fuel to discontent with Netanyahu's government. The far-right minority who support Netanyahu in live-in settlements may still maintain their loyalty to him, but it is unlikely that their support alone will be enough to bolster his popularity overall. On the international stage, the situation in Gaza also has implications for Saudi Arabia's attempts to normalize relations with Israel. But with that, it does come to my attention that there has been recent information posted on Reuters. So what I'm about to say next is summarized from the source based on information from Reuters. Perhaps I'll put the link to it in the show notes. So Saudi Arabia has decided to pause its United States-backed plans for normalizing ties with Israel due to the escalating conflict between Israel and Hamas. This marks a significant shift in Saudi foreign policy priorities. The conflict has also promoted Saudi Arabia to engage with Iran with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman apparently taking a phone call from Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi. The sources suggest that there will be a delay in the talks regarding normalization with Israel, which was seen as a crucial step in securing a U.S. defense pact for Saudi Arabia. Before the recent conflict when discussions resume, this shift in Saudi policy demonstrates the challenges facing Washington's efforts to integrate Israel into the region while maintaining Arab concerns about the Palestinian cause. The war in Gaza has made normalization even more controversial in the Arab world. While the normalization efforts is not on hold, the focus is currently on addressing immediate challenges. Saudi Arabia's decision to put these talks on ice highlights the complexities of the geopolitical landscape and the region's shifting priorities. So, it is encouraging to see Saudi Arabia prioritize addressing the Palestinian cause and the conflict in Gaza over its plans to normalize relations with Israel. This sends a strong message that the kingdom values the human rights of Palestinians and is not willing to sacrifice them for convenience. Furthermore, it signals a recognition on the importance of resolving the conflict and working towards a peaceful resolution. As we conclude this episode of the Diplomacy and Discourse podcast, we want to state that our ultimate goal is peace, and we condemn all forms of violence and oppression. We must work towards a future where both Israelis and Palestinians can coexist in harmony, free from the grips of radicalism and the cycle of violence. We want to express our sincere appreciation for your viewership and listenership. If you found this conversation as enlightening and thought-provoking as we have, we kindly ask for your ongoing support. Please consider giving this video a thumbs up, subscribing to our channel, and leaving a review on your preferred podcast platform. Your active engagement and feedback are the cornerstones of our growth, enabling us to connect with a broader audience of curious minds. If you have any questions, thoughts, or suggestions, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at diplomacyanddiscourse at gmail.com. 
Your contributions continue to shape our path. Once again, we thank you for being a vital part of our community. Your support is invaluable, and we eagerly look forward to more captivating conversations and episodes that ignite exploration. Until our next encounter, take care and continue your journey to the fascinating world of diplomacy and discourse.